Look what you did. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? It's such a peculiar experience. Um, Until it's together, it's not together. And so many elements are at work in it. It all feels kind of chaotic and um, very questionable. What what are we doing? And how is it going to come out? And is anybody going to come? And all those big questions. And then all of a sudden, clunk. And it comes together. And there's this thing, this wonderful thing that um, from all of those efforts and all of those questions and all of those confusions and all of those disagreements, it all comes together. And what a strange and wonderful thing that it comes together on the, on the very last night of the year and the very beginning of the next year. Um, Gil should be here. (laughs) Uh, I told him so. (laughs) He said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't do it. But he keeps calling me and saying, how's it going? How's it going? (laughs) And sends his greetings and says he's going to call me up in the morning right away to find out how it was tonight. (laughs) The only thing that um, I can ever think to talk about on New Year's is uh, beginnings and endings. which, of course, in our practice is all that we ever talk about anyway, um, about change, about impermanence, about how, how we're all burning, burning to an end, And how in the midst of all this change and all this impermanence, we begin over and over and over again. In in Abhidharma, we talk about um, every moment being a new beginning. If you really begin to analyze the mind and how it works and cut it down to each tiny, what they call nen moments, which is just a fraction of a, of, a, of a breath of a second. Each moment that we live is, is a beginning, and it's an opportunity. And of course, it's also a death at the same time. So if you really think about it, you get dizzy. Um, better not to think about it too much, except in a broader context of how to live how to be this life. There are many, many philosophies, many, many um, 
religions with a moral underpinning and directions on how to be. It's our greatest struggle as human beings Because we can think in the way that we do, we can envision um, how things should be and how we should be. And yet over and over, we bump up against our own frailties and inabilities and difficulties. It's very hard to live up to our own high ideals. This meditation practice gives us an opportunity to um, shed all of our ideas, the bright ones and the clever ones and the good intention ones, all of them, if we sit long enough, fall away. And we find ourselves being lived as we live. It's a very wonderful thing. I have just come back from New York City. Lucky me. Um, I have a son living there, and I had Christmas with him and his wife. And New York City is a very, very interesting place right now. People are still extremely kind to each other. They queue up, um, even in the grocery stores, where it used to be sharp elbows, They're in lines now and saying, oh, please, after you, and letting the little old lady get in in front. It's kind of spooky, actually. (laughs) It's such a different experience. Something fell away uh, for all of us. It's what happens when we have to face the true difficulty of what it is to live. The precariousness of it. The temporary nature of it. I I know a man who grew up in the Second World War in Holland and the same experience happened in Holland um, when the SS officers took over. He said that Without fail, everyone was extremely helpful to everyone else for the whole four horrible years of that war, of the occupation, when there was nothing to eat. They were eating nettles, picking nettles in the woods with gloves with holes in them and taking them home and cooking them. He 
He said, only after the war did the quarrels begin again. We're such complicated creatures, aren't we? One of the reasons this is such a a precious practice is because it doesn't require us to... uh, we aren't required to face a total disaster before we begin to face ourself. This is a much more um, gentle way of knowing about life itself. It's a very deep knowing and a very deep giving up. It's easy to get caught by an idea and carry it. We get caught by many, many ideas. But every time we sit down, we have to see It's just ideas. It's just one more notion. With that knowledge, we can meet each thing as it rises up newly. Each time is a new time. Each time is a new opportunity. So even though we make a mess, make many, many messes, we get up again in the morning and go on. And are carried on at the same time. This space already has a a, a long history. And you can feel it, can't you? You can feel um, the practice that was going on here before. And already it's gathering a history of the Insight Meditation Group. In many ways, life will be much simpler. This, this practice will be much simpler. There won't be any hauling around of tapes anymore. There'll be a cupboard for the tapes. And there'll be shelves for the books. There's a place for the food and a place for the meetings, a place for Gil to have an office. It's really quite wonderful. But it will also be a tremendous challenge to everyone. Um, Once once the Dharma has been transmitted to a place, it's a very, very big responsibility. 
In, in Zen, we talk about two kinds of transmission, the face-to-face transmission, Buddha-to-Buddha, and also the transmission of the place. So this is your practice now, is the practice of the place. And what it is really is an offering. We say we make a place for for practice. And of course it's for us, for our practice, your practice. But in fact it's opening up the practice to, to everyone. Putting it on the ground, in form. It's a very, very moving and powerful thing to do. And a very big responsibility. You have a wonderful, wonderful teacher to guide you and to help hold that responsibility. And the practice itself, this practice of infinite Nen moments shedding off of us, this practice of, of the vertical and the horizontal coming to rest in one place. to enjoy our breathing and keep the space open for everyone. I feel very honored to be uh, sitting here tonight and saying these words. and very grateful to all of you, and especially grateful to Brigitte. We put this thing, actually we put it together twice, once the way we thought it should be, and then um, <laughs> Gil had other ideas about it, and so we had to quickly revise everything at the last moment. But uh, it's been a, a partnership, and I'm very grateful, especially to Brigitte, for for helping this evening get together. We had lots of questions about how many people were going to be here. And um, look at us. Look at us. So many. It's wonderful. It's been a very painful year, actually. Um, a very difficult year. And it probably won't be getting any better, quote unquote. <coughs> and one of the teachings of Buddha that's so important, especially in difficult times, is is that we don't need to be passing judgment on everything that's happening. We don't have to be measuring whether this is a good thing that's happening now and that's a bad thing. This we like and this we don't like. This shouldn't be happening and this should be happening and isn't happening. All of those things that we're we're churning in our minds about, um, it doesn't help. 
and it makes what's difficult painful. In Buddha's life, he, he simply faced what was there. His life, Shakyamuni Buddha's life, was very difficult too. It was a time of great turmoil and change, very distressing change. When he was a child, he grew up in, in little, um, it was called a kingdom, and we think of it as great palaces, like the European palaces, but actually they were, they were very small villages. And the king uh, had a bigger house than everybody, but not that much bigger. And in Buddha's time after he grew, the, there was a, a, a kind of, whether it was a demographic change, what it was, what caused it, I don't know. But the village kings started looking at each other's villages and saying, hmm, I could have that village over there as well as this one. How about if I go over and take it? And that's what they did. They began to expand and take over each other's villages and create what are called city-states. It was a very difficult time. And there was a lot of fighting including fighting between Buddha's own people. There was a cousin who was the king of one of the villages over here, and he attacked Buddha's father's palace. A couple of times they didn't succeed. Once when Buddha persuaded them um, to go away, shamed them into it, actually. But they came back and took it. So our struggles and our clashing of arms by night and all the chaos and confusion and, and difficulty is really pretty much par for the course. I was remembering this afternoon talking to a friend about the uh, vengeance, the whole notion of vengeance, that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is still, after all these centuries, and I think that was, what, 3,000 years ago that a king uh, proclaimed this new enlightened notion that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a much better way to go. Before, if someone attacked my family and killed my brother, I would take everyone in the village and we would go to that village and kill everybody in it. So one person killed creates total mayhem and murder. And this wise king said, oh, let's not do that anymore. That doesn't make sense. If your brother is killed, then you you can go and kill that brother, a brother over there. That's the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we have much more brilliant ideas about how to be 
than that after these thousands of years. But the truth is our enactment is still pretty primitive. And so the discordance in our minds between what we can envision and what we can hope for and what's actually happening is now a big part of our practice. To be able to to embrace the paradox and the and the confusion of it is what we are doing encouraged and empowered by our ability to sit. It's a very important thing. We don't sit to become sweetness and light. We sit to face and be what actually is happening. To be who we are and where we are. And to include the whole moment in our practice. And so sometimes we have to weep. But that's part of it too. And our vision, our insight and our vision Our our gift, it's what we have to give. And although sometimes it seems like the world isn't ready for um, every vision and every insight, we keep giving it away. It's our pleasure. It's our calling. People are expressing expressing wishes for this new year, wishing for peace and tranquility and all the good things. I think we all have deep wishes for the new year, this new beginning. But there's no real overall picture. A year is the earth turning around the sun and coming back to the same place. But it never stops turning and it never stops traveling around the sun. So in a way, it's a very sweet thing to measure, oh yes, at this point we are the same place as we were last year. But actually the whole thing is unfolding hugely Um, in a way that really isn't touched by what's happening around the sun. And so it's not so important to, to measure as it is to be completely real and authentic and present 
where you are, whatever day it happens to be. To be that day and to fulfill its promise as much as possible. And to get up and do it all over again the next day and the next. I think that's enough. Um, If you have some comments or some questions, some congratulations to each other. You should all be patting each other on the back. Yes. How many people are staying till midnight? Wow, great. That's great. Forget, why don't you tell everybody what the schedule is? Do you have it? You know it, yeah. We'll, um, we'll have a break in a little bit for a half hour, and there are refreshments uh, in the other room. And then we'll gather back at 9.30 and we'll do, we'll alternate um, sitting and walking and I'll do some readings, uh, sitting, walking, readings, and then we'll sit into the new year. And at the new year, about five minutes to 12, um, we will ring the bell 108 times. Um, we'll, We'll... Send it around, however many of us are here, so we'll all get a turn, several turns, to ring the bell. And, um, and then finish with just a few minutes of sitting. It's traditional, and I can't remember what the tradition is. It's traditional in Japanese um, Zen. And also in Tibetan practice as well. Uh, there's some... Uh, magic about 108, but I can't remember what it is. Does anybody know? Darn, I was hoping somebody here would know. Well, somebody was saying um, the other night that there are 108 beads on the rosary, on the Catholic rosary. And also, what did she say? Um, On the baseball, there are 108 stitches on the baseball. (laughs) So there's bound to be something really important about it. (laughs) Well, maybe we're ready for... Is there a question?
No. Maybe we're ready for cider. Cider and cookies. Okay. <laughs>